Thanks for listening to the podcast from River's Edge Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information or to gather with us on Sunday, visit our website at respokane.org. We hope this message is impactful for you and others as we pursue the way of Jesus together. Yeah, so my name's Chris. For those that I haven't met, uh, thanks for coming and gathering with us this morning. Uh, we're currently going through the book of Ephesians as we make our way through the Bible in a year. And if you were with us last week, you know we kind of switched things up. Last week, uh, Matt preached on Ephesians 4, 17 through 521. And this week, I'll be preaching on Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. So we flopped them around a bit. Uh, before we get into it, my friend Gentry Taylor from Liberia is going to read the passage for us. The video does cut out like the verse before, so I'll uh, finish it for him. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you are called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, enduring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and you in you all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this he ascended. What does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, and to a perfect man, to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children. And that's where it cuts off. Children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking truth and love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, for whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part, because or causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Let's pray before we get into it. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for this opportunity to gather together this morning. Uh, I pray that you would uh, speak through your word, speak through the, the preaching of your word this morning, uh, that uh, we would be encouraged and built up, um, and that we would be willing to serve you throughout the day and throughout the week. I pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. So throughout the letter to Ephesus, Paul continually calls the unified collection of believers the body of Christ. When it comes to the first half of chapter 4, the imagery of believers as the body is central to its main point. 
So as Paul transitions from giving the doctrine in the first three chapters of Ephesians, two main points emerge uh, as we get into the second half of the book of Ephesians. And that is, first, the unity of believers, and second, the participation of believers. As a united group through Christ, we are made responsible to that unity. It is part of the call which we are told to walk worthily. As a united group through Christ, we become his body, his presence on earth, in a sense. As the body, that presence, we are called to participate in the body, to grow the body, to mature the body, to keep it healthy. All too often, the church becomes a business that provides for a consumerist culture. The culture says that a good church has specific programs, specific events, compelling teaching, and so on. The church becomes this building where I can go and get my fill. Church becomes, what can this place, what can these people do for me, instead of what it ought to be? And what the church ought to be is, what can I do for the church, or how can I serve the body. In short, the church, as a group of believers, should be a reflection of the person it's supposed to represent. You see, as I said, the church is the body. We are the body. And as we will see from the text, Paul's idea of the believer's part in the body is a little bit different than what the culture has dictated. And so we are the body of Christ, and as the body, we are called to participate in very specific ways. So let's get into the passage and see what Paul's telling us to do. So right off the bat, verse 1, there are two things that can be said about Paul identifying himself as a prisoner of Christ. I think first, it reveals some insight into what Paul see, how Paul sees his relationship with Christ. He calls himself a prisoner of Christ. Um, and the second is that he was literally a prisoner at the time. He was writing this letter in prison. And that places more weight, I think, on the call that he gives to his audience. So he says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. That's verse 1. So Paul was in prison. That's where his call led him, right? So his audience can visibly see the example that Paul sets before them as one who's walking worthily in his call already. And this really marks the second half of Ephesians, in which Paul shifts from teaching that doctrine, the first three chapters, now, to now addressing his audience in order to spell out Christian living. Paul then moves into giving the ways in which one ought to walk out their calling. He says, in humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, and maintaining unity through the bond of the Spirit, or through the bond of peace. So why is unity so important? Because unity is part of God himself. Uh, starting in verse 4, it says, There is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. There is unity in God himself. There is unity in Christianity and the Christian faith. Therefore, it's something that ought to be preserved. When you become a Christian, you enter into this corporate relationship. You, you become part of something that's bigger than yourself. Christianity doesn't become this individual thing that you have, but you 
are brought into this body. So being a Christian, acting like a Christian becomes really important because you now represent the body. You now represent this group of believers. So, strive to maintain unity. Be humble, be gentle, be patient, and go even as far as putting up with one another. Yeah, that's the hard one. We can all be humble, but bearing with one another. So the first three chapters presented uh, as kind of a review, the mystery of Christ, God's plan since eternity, uh, the dividing wall of hostility uh, that's been torn down now. Uh, it says we're the body in the head, under the headship of Christ. Uh, so now we get into chapter 4. Unity is the first thing that is presented, and now unity must be strived for. Now we did not create the unity, we did not create the body, but it has been created for us, and we are called to be part of it. And this is the, the first point that Paul makes. In the next four verses, starting in verse 7, Paul quotes Psalm 68, 18, which I do have up there, yes, uh, which says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. So, the quote of Psalm 68:18 recounts the humility and glorification of Christ. The section can be framed as showing that while Christ is no longer physically on earth, he didn't abandon it. He didn't abandon his people. Upon physically leaving the earth, he gave his followers grace, he gave his followers gifts, and he has filled all things. So while no, he no longer walks the earth, there is nowhere that his presence is not felt. His presence is felt in the grace each one of us has been given. And through the gifts that manifest in each one of us through the Spirit. Now, notice the shift in how Paul is speaking to his audience. The first six verses address the audience as a corporate body. But now we've shifted and the emphasis is on the individual. Each one of us has been given grace. The change from corporate to individual highlights the fact that while we don't all share in the same gifting, We all charge with the preserving and maintaining of the unity. But each of us has a different and specific gifting to participate in. Moving on to verse 11, Paul lists a series of gifts that are specific people in specific ministerial roles. As I said before, Jesus is no longer physically on, the, on this earth, but he did not abandon his people. And by that, I mean he gave gifts. He gave these specific people and specific ministerial roles. And now, the purpose of these gifts is twofold, as we see in the text. The first is that these gifts are for the equipping of the saints, meaning Christians, for the work of ministry. And now, this alone doesn't fit the mold of consumerism, because if all saints are supposed to be equipped for the work of ministry, then all, sh all saints should be on the receiving and giving end of that ministry. The second purpose of these gifted people is for the building up of the body of Christ, 
Each of these gifts plays an important role within the Christian community. So we have the list Christ first gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Each of these gifts, as I said, is distinct from the others, but plays a crucial part. Each one is used to equip the saints, and as a result, this builds up the body of Christ. First, apostles, as characterized by Acts 1, 21-22, were those who accompanied Jesus from his baptism to his ascension, and then were charged with bearing witness to him. Apostles were foundational to the beginning of Christianity. The second one, prophets, in the New Testament and on, were, while differing from the Old Testament prophets, uh, are necessary for calling to attention certain sins, for telling the future and bringing words of exhortation to the body of Christ. While the first two gifts listed deal more with an internal ministry as they're, they're focused inward towards the body, the third one, evangelists, is more of an external ministry. Right? Evangelists are charged with the spread of the gospel. The final two gifts are often lumped together, but there are two separate groups that overlap. So there's pastors and there's teachers. Uh, all pastors are teachers, but not all teachers are pastors. Pastors are called to shepherd the flock, feed the sheep, guide them, teach them, and teachers teach. These individuals were given to the body of Christ to equip them for the work of ministry and for the building up of the body. Every Christian, every Christian has a work of ministry, a spiritual task, and function in the body. Again, the first purpose of these gifted people is to train up the body of believers, to equip them, but not without an aim or a goal. Verse 13 reveals that this training, this equipping of the saints, this building up of the body, is supposed to continue until a unity in the faith and knowledge of the Son of God is attained. This faith and knowledge is defined as a mature man. This alludes to the fact that the church, including us, is a part of Christ's body, which means the unity that is being aimed for is fulfilled through a corporate maturity under the headship of Christ. As the United Church, the body of Christ becomes this mature man, which is the fullness of Christ. But this is only possible through the Spirit and those who function in their gifts. The second purpose, the building up of the body of Christ, is fulfilled by the saints working out their ministry. Through the use of the church's gifts, the body is edified, built up, encouraged, this leads to growth, both in numbers and spiritual and intellectual depth. Once the end goal, or one of the end goals of the body of believers to grow, one of the end goals is for the body of believers to grow in both faith, which is trust, and knowledge, which is intellect. Think of it as the full experience of Christ, um, or at least the aspect of his human life. The more you know of his life, the more you experience him. And by default, the more your faith and knowledge grows. Because Christ is the object of the Christian faith, the thing in which also all trust for salvation is placed. It is then through the knowledge of his life that the believer can follow by example. 
Paul then gives the reasons why maturity is important. Ephesians 4.14 explains that maturity is crucial so that the believer may no longer be a child who is easily swayed by whatever teaching comes their way. The maturity through faith and knowledge grounds the believer in sound doctrine, keeping them from false teaching, heresy, and and deceivers. The training from those gifted leaders equips the saints, helps in the unity of the body, and ultimately keeps the saints from going astray. Finally, the last two verses, verses 15 through 16, conclude the thought by charging all believers to speak truth and love, in contrast to those who would bring false teaching and be deceitful. Uh, Verse 16 is the summation, I believe, of the whole passage. Christ is the head of the body through whom all believers are united and given a specific function to fulfill for the edification of the church. It is an analogous image of growth and maturity to the likeness of Christ. Now, in way of making sense of that, we can kind of go back. The first thing, Paul first makes this charge to believers, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. The first effect of this call is that we are now a unified body of Christ. And it's a unity that we are supposed to maintain. The third part is that as members of this body, we're called to participate in the body through the use of our gifts. And the last one, that this participation has an end goal. We're not just participating for no reason. We're participating to accomplish a certain task. So what is this end goal again, and and how are we supposed to attain it? To illustrate this, uh, I personally love basketball. I haven't played as much as I used to, uh, but I still love it. still my favorite sport. Uh, And Steph Curry, a lot of you probably know who that is, uh, he plays for the Golden State Warriors, and he is indisputably one of the greatest NBA players to ever exist in in the whole association. And with a talent like that, even someone like me would want to imitate him, right? And now I've never been much of a good three-point shooter ever. Uh, You know, everyone wants to be a three-point shooter, though. Uh, One time I was watching this sports science video. I don't know if you guys know what sports science is. Cool little show. But they they did a segment on the Steph Curry shot, right? So in this video, they had like the angle at which his, the, ball, the ball leaves his body and the number of revolutions it makes and the height that the ball reaches at its, at its highest point and the angle at which the ball goes into the basket. And they just painted all this. Is, this is the Steph Curry shot. This is how he stands. This is how he does all this. And after I watched that video, I got super excited. I was like, I'm going to have the Steph Curry shot now, right? So... Right after I watched this video, I went outside, I started shooting, really thinking about it, okay, feet like this, okay, shoulders, okay. this high, release it at this point, and I did, you know, I did make a few more shots, so I was like, all right, all right, now, I'm, now I got that Steph Curry shot, now I'm going to dominate on the court, man. But when it came to playing games, I don't know what happened. I would revert back to like my old form and I'd just be throwing rocks at the backboard and they'd just fall and not go in the basket and I didn't know what was going on. Why was I not shooting like Steph Curry? Okay, I watched the video, I knew how he did it. Why was I not shooting like Steph Curry? 
But I think this is similar to kind of what Paul's talking about in this passage. Uh, and also very similar to an analogy that, or an illustration that Dallas Willard comes up with in his book, Spirit of the Disciplines. He opens his book, Spirit of the Disciplines, with an analogy about a boy who imitates a professional baseball player. Does this sound familiar? He points out that the boy desires to be like this professional baseball player. And he watches him every single game. So he knows how this player acts in all these games. But when it comes for the boy to play in his own little league games, the boy does his best to imitate this player through what he has seen of this player. And I'm sure we can all relate to this to some extent, whether it be other sports or parenthood or, or marriage or speaking, anything that, you know, there's just someone who's that good and we just look up to them, we want to be like them. All right? For me, it was Steph Curry, but Willard points out that the little boy only sees what his professional baseball player does on any given game day. The boy does not see the hours and hours that the player puts in every single day. So the boy only imitates what he sees, and that's an inadequate way for the boy to truly become like that professional player. For me, watching one video and taking a few shots like Steph Curry is not going to make me shoot like him. What would make me shoot like Steph Curry is what Steph, made Steph Curry shoot like Steph Curry. Right? It's the hours and hours, days and days of shooting the same way over and over again. But I only wanted to be Steph Curry in a game. I didn't want to be Steph Curry at practice. I didn't want to be Steph Curry every other day, just in the game. In a similar way, when it comes to spiritual discipline and spiritual maturity, as Paul calls for, it is not enough to imitate what is said in the Bible or imitate other spiritual leaders only on Sunday. Willard also points out that spiritual discipline, and in our case, spiritual maturity, is not something that we can conceive of as practicing, taking our time, and then one day accomplishing it. Like one day we'll become spiritually disciplined and spiritually mature. Jesus and Paul did not practice discipline and maturity. They did it. They were disciplined. They were mature. So it's not enough to work towards spiritual discipline and maturity only on Sundays. It's not enough to only work on unity on Sundays. We won't always be the pinnacle of maturity and discipline and unity, but that's where growth comes in. And growth comes through knowledge and experience. And we can't just sit back and be consumers. We have to participate. As a Christian, it is something you have to commit to doing as a lifestyle. We ought to take it seriously. We cannot expect to come together as a well-functioning, whole, mature, disciplined Christian community on any given Sunday if we're not actively maintaining unity and growing together in the knowledge and faith of Jesus Christ. That's one of the cool things about missional communities. Well, missional community plug, right? Part of being here on Sunday is growing together, right? We, we learn from whoever's standing up here. We learn together. But the function of a church on Sunday is more than just education. It's more than just sitting there and learning. 
It's also participation. Using your gifts to encourage, build up, correct, and discipline one another. Pray for one another. We cannot claim to have gifts and not use them for the equipping of saints, for the work of ministry, and for the building up of the body. The gospel itself is about life change, not just sin management, not just social issues. Certainly those are part of the power of the gospel, but at its core, it's a call to turn from your old ways and step into your new ways, your new life. If you desire greater unity, if you desire to grow in maturity, if you desire to be spiritually disciplined, then start doing it. If you desire to be a strong Christian in the everyday or at work, then be more than a Sunday consumer Christian. Take your gifting seriously. Christ has given us gifted leaders. I think we can all agree with that. And he's given us all gifts. God has sent his spirit to empower us in these gifts, so we ought to do something. Like Matt said last week, become who you already are. Take your Christianity seriously and live in a way that reflects that. Paul has given us practical methods to accomplish this. Aim to be humble, gentle, patient. Seek to grow your knowledge of Christ. Use your gifts. Encourage one another. Build up the body. Do something. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Thank you for your word. Thank you for your son who came and died for us. Thank you for your spirit who uh, gives us gifts and empowers us to use them. I pray that uh, today you would reveal to the people here what their gifting is, that you would encourage and empower them, that you would use others to encourage and empower them, to use their gifts um, to be a part of the body. Pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. So as Annie is singing this next song, uh, the tables are open up for communion. Um, and as we come up and, and get the bread, dip the cup and sit down, I have a few questions for us to reflect on. Um, so the first call in Ephesians 4 is to maintain unity. An unresolved conflict and bitterness are divisive but happen nonetheless. So uh, ask yourself, is there anyone I need to forgive or reconcile with within the body? And this doesn't just mean this local church the body is all believers, so bigger than, than just this building. Uh, the second question, what does it look like for me to strive towards unity with all? And the second call in Ephesians 4, 1 through 16, is to participate in the body of Christ. If you are a Christian, you are a part of the body, and Paul tells us to use our gifts to grow in faith and knowledge of the Son of God. So, what am I doing to build up the body towards the fullness of Christ? And what unique things do I believe God has graced me with? for the sake of the body.